Kolbinski tells us how long it took to get Luis Navia to admit his true identity. So they were threatening to cut him up. And, uh, and then that, with the fact that I guess Ivan had called back and talked to the twins, or hadn't, he'd already talked to him, I guess, or whatever, but Ivan convinced Luis that the twins were going to abandon us. They'll send somebody in here to kill us. They're not going to get us out. You know, we're done. And uh, so then, you know, he said, okay, you got me. How long did that take from beginning to end till he finally acquiesces? Yeah, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> was, oh, well, hard was, and criminal. There you go. <laughs> it was, I think it was the Razor Blades <laughs> more than my persuasion that did anything. <laughs> Welcome to Game of Crimes. They needed somebody to accompany or to go with a customs agent out of Houston. He was bringing a trigger fish in. And you know, they weren't going to let the customs guy run around Venezuela by himself. Okay. Uh, can you tell everybody what a trigger <laughs> yeah, fish let's, is? Let's talk about triggers because the Secret Service used to use that a lot too. And it has nothing to do with sheep, trust me. It's technology. Or, or fish. <laughs> um, a trigger fish is a, a device that's used to, um, to locate cell phones. Um, you pick up the signal and through triangulation, et cetera. You can, uh, and also it can intercept the, the calls. Uh, yeah, and the modern version you, of those are called the stingrays, the cell site simulators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were sent over there. Um, to, uh, to monitor that group that Lewis was part of, in particular, um, Ivan de la Vega, who was the um, main transporter. He was the guy that brought Lewis into this deal. And um, so um, we were up on, on, well, on Ivan, and then we got up on Lewis's cell phone as well uh, as a result of being up on Ivan. So... Where are you on the, up on that phone at? In Venezuela or in the U.S.? In Venezuela. No, in Venezuela. We were over there because we were, you know, actively, you know, I think at one point we were in the same damn hotel as him, you know. Um, so this is back when Venezuela still got along with the United States. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, so from the time you kind of catch wind of this, because what I want to do is book in people, kind of let we know, let them know where we are in the journey. So for the time you actually start getting wind and your trajectory starts like in 2001 till you finally end up taking down uh, Luis. How many, how long of a time frame is that? Oh, no, this is, I'm, I'm there I, I within a week or so, because like I said, I was not assigned to that particular case. They needed somebody and I, yeah, I'll go to Venezuela. I love to go to Venezuela. And so I went over there and um, actually Steve, I was pretty much on a need-to-know basis while I was over there, and I think in particularly because I was sitting next to a customs guy the whole time, and um, I don't know how familiar you are with that case. It's brought out in the book. Uh, Jesse does a good job of that because, you know, the Brits are involved, and there is a lot of interagency and the book you're referring to is Pure Narco by Jesse Fink and Luis Navia that we actually have. It's listed on our book site, uh, book yeah. page on our website. So, um, no, it was – we finally then um, hey, we were we were started off in uh, Caracas, and then as Lewis details in his book, he talks about you know the cab driver tipping him off that the that the federalists there talked to him, and um, then went to Maracaibo. So we then hopped uh, 
yeah, we went, yeah, we flew over in a, in a Venezuelan army or police aircraft over to Maracaibo's were set up. And then, um, we tracked him to a mall and of course, six, four gringo, they weren't letting me anywhere near the mall. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, customs guy I was with, he was of, uh, Latin descent. And so he was with them, uh, when they picked him up. And so then we all get bundled back up. We head back over to, to, uh, Caracas and I don't know, was it the next day or so is when, um, I was asked to talk to Lewis because I had been talking with, uh, cause once they identified him, you heard the story about the fingerprints at, at a meeting. Um, Lewis was an unknown at the time he showed up and he was referred to as the Greek. They get a glass that had his fingerprints on it, identify him as, um, as Lewis Navia. There was an outstanding warrant customs head on him. Um, Bob Harley agent. Hey, and Eric, let's talk about that for just a second, because I, I don't want to say it's unique, but not that it's rare, but but it is kind of a different level when somebody stays behind the scenes so much that you've got to work to identify them, where you've got the other people, like the mm-hmm. cocaine cowboys, you know, Magluta. What was the name? Magluta? Um, Sal, Sal Magluta. And, uh, yeah. You got guys that are just being ostentatious with their wealth. Steve, ostentatious means, you know, it's a big word. It means like really, you know, extravagant. You know what this means? <laughs> I can't tell. Um, <laughs> Your lens is fogging up. Uh, you're, apparently, you're thinking about Phoebe. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, but that's but that's but that's not. I mean, everybody thinks all these. I mean, a lot of dope dealers like our Pablo or El Chapo. They're well known, but for somebody to stay in the background for as long as he did, I mean, and I'm not trying to give him too many props, but that was actually he was doing good work, at least from what he was doing to stay in the background and unknown for that long, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, it's well, I mean, that kind of that's kind of the whole unique thing about him. He was in that business that long and, uh, you know, around to talk about it now. Um, and he um, he was very cautious. You know, he changes identity all the time, changes phones all the time. He, you know, he he worked at it to stay anonymous. And, you know, he wasn't one of these that had to deal with the main guy. He was happy dealing at whatever level he was at. He was making money. Um, and he didn't want to put himself in those positions where, uh, you know, he'd be compromised. So, so yeah, that's, uh, it was a big shock for him to show up in the middle of that because nobody has, and we're talking Greece, we're talking uh, Britain. I think the Spanish were even involved with that. I mean, there were all sorts of people involved in that. Nobody knew who he was. So tell us about, I, I know uh, Lewis talked about it a little bit, but tell us about getting the fingerprints. Did that happen while you were there or did that happen before? Uh, that happened while I was there. I was not there uh, for that particular, you know, I wasn't, again, I'm in the background this whole time. Um, and But it was at a meeting there, actually down in uh, by Rio Norco, um, where the, the dope was stashed down there. It was at a hotel down there where they got him. There was another set of folks down there working that end of it while I was up in uh, Caracas. So and going into just a little bit more detail, why were you, I mean, you told about I was brought into it to help, but you, you weren't really just sitting in the background, right? I mean, just like along for the ride. I mean, you, there were some other things that you were doing that DEA could uniquely do, right? That customs couldn't do or other people couldn't do. Um, you know, just kind of give us a little bit more detail about what it is you were doing while you were down there. 
you know, it's really a lot of liaison, you know, communication work back and forth with the case agents and, and others involved and, in, you know, keeping people updated. And then I'm getting information that helps us doing what we're doing and that sort of thing. And I, and I was the, I was the conduit for, uh, information coming to and from DEA, uh, was the customs agents assigned to Columbia, or did he come out of Miami, or where did he come? No, from? he came out of Houston because that's where the equipment came from, and I guess he was familiar with that equipment. Now, had now that you look back on it, before we get to the the event, you know, the arrest and the seizure and stuff, but looking backwards, did your pass did you cross paths with Luis somewhere prior to that without knowing it, only to discover it later from the investigation, you know, or one of your investigations did? Did some of the dope you seized, did that belong to Lewis? Did you have guys have any connection at all prior to this? Not, no, not that I can say for sure. I, you know, I wrote the, a foreword in his book and I kind of made reference to, you know, wondering now in hindsight, if maybe uh, some of that dope we picked up coming across the Rio Grande had his fingerprints on it or some of the Pan-X dope. Uh, the other operation I was involved with might have had some stuff. Well, actually, no, I can't say Pan-X because that was afterwards. But yeah, so I kind of, you know, even the, well, like that, uh, the three kilo deal that came out of the Florida Keys. Could that have been some that he had run in there previously? He was running dope in there at that time. It's very possible because it's, it's not that big a crowd. No, uh-uh, no. So, yeah, so I kind of allude to that in, in when I wrote the foreword. Yeah, because you guys end up having a special relationship, but to get there, it's like we say, you know, most drug traffickers either die on the job or they go to federal prison. And so as you're getting close, you talk about rolling them up. Talk about what goes into that. What did you, what other things are you working on at that time? Are there other investigations being spun up? I mean, some of this dope. And the other thing you can go into detail is there were, there's about 26 tons of dope down there, but the reason there were some reasons we couldn't charge them in the United States for that dope because there was no nexus, right, to the United States with some of this activity that was going on? No, no, they charged. Ivan De La Vega got, got charged with it. Um, no, I meant, but with Luis, he, is, he didn't get charged with any part of the 26 tons, did he, from a United States standpoint, did he? No, and that's that's due to a deal that uh, Bob Harley, the customs agent, because of Lewis's cooperation, they agreed not to charge him with that. Um, because, you know, right away he started, uh, after our initial encounter, he decided he's coming over to Team America. You know what? We always say whoever whoever flips first gets the best deal, don't we? <laughs> yeah. There's only, yeah. We, yeah, yeah. There's only so many seats yeah. on this ride, pal, that's filling up quick. Um, yeah. But before before he could get to Team America, was it decided that you were you going to speak with him? I mean, it's a customs case. I'm surprised that they let you anywhere near Lewis. You know, and, and I'm I know I was talking to Bob Harley, um, not the customs guy, and forgive me, I can't remember his name now, but um, for whatever reason, I was in touch with Harley. I don't know, maybe because you know part of the fact that I was customs at one time, and then it was you know out of Florida. Um, type of thing. So, um, um, I don't know, but I definitely, you know, was the lead on talking to Lewis. Um, you know, I, I was prepped with what they had him on and everything else. And so, yeah, I, I, I was the lead on that. So let's talk about how this all gets set up. So, um, you were just talking about you, you, he's at the mall. So kind of take it from there. When's your first, when's the first official law enforcement contact with Lewis to roll him up and bring him into custody? Well, it wasn't, I believe it was the next afternoon because we were in Maracaibo, which is out in La Guajira, it's the, the northernmost peninsula out there. And so we all flew back, uh, to Caracas. It was the next afternoon. Um, 
and they've got him sitting in the back of a of a big black SUV with a Colombian. It was a Colombian cop and a Venezuelan cop, and uh, I get in on. Uh, I'm on the passenger side in the rear, and the customs agents is on the other side, and um, so I greet him, you know, by his name, and he starts you know, trying to speak to me in Spanish, telling me his, his name is uh, Luis Novoa. Soy un, un, un uh, Mexican uh, or? Yeah, soy Mexicano. And I'm, a, I'm trying to think of the Spanish word for, for businessman, un hombre de negocios or whatever he was saying, you know, start trying to, and I said, come on, um, you know, I know you're Luis Navia, you know, you're, uh, you're a U.S. citizen. And, um, and then I put him on the phone with Bob Harley. Um, and, um, Bob basically told him, Hey, listen to what the guy sitting next to you had to say. Just, you know, just listen to him. Why did you put him on the phone with Bob? Well, it was kind of, um, to let him know that the gig was up. Cause he, he had a strange relationship with Bob. He would taunt Bob, you know, he would send him cards and bow ties and different uh, it's ties. The ties. Yeah. 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 It's just so, you know, so they, they had a weird relationship. It's one of those kids. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, and, and you know, you, you use whatever tool you got in your box at the time to, to get people to do what they're supposed to do. And, um, so, you know, at that, so he's done with, uh, did Bob and, mention anything about the ties while they were talking just to let him know he knew? I, I don't, I don't know if he did or not, but you know, it was, but, but Lewis tried to, tried to say, no, 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 no. You know? And I said, and so finally, I think he and I kind of remember this a little differently, but I, what, what I remember can, what convinced him to, to come on board was the fact that I said, look, if you're not Lewis Navia and if you're not a U.S. citizen, then there's nothing I can do to help you other than to, I, I got to turn you back over to the Venezuelans. <laughs> and, and no, they no, no, already, must be good English. Uh, they had already, they had already um, threatened to cut him up with razor blades because they, they didn't, there was more dope that they didn't find. They knew from the wire that, that they were the wires that they were up on it. There was more dope down there and then they were looking for money and everything else. And, and, you know, um, so they were threatening to cut him up. And, uh, and then that with the fact that I guess Ivan had called back and talked to the twins or hadn't, he'd already talked to him, I guess, or whatever, but Ivan convinced Lewis that the twins are going to abandon us. They'll send somebody in here to kill us. They're not going to get us out. You know, we're done. And, uh, so then, you know, he said, okay, you got me. How long did that take from beginning to end till he finally acquiesces? Yeah, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> was, oh, well, hard was, and criminal. There you go. It was, I think it was the razor blades <laughs> more than my persuasion that did anything. <laughs> well, the other thing, the Mejia brothers are known for their violence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were, yeah, they yeah. were as bad as Rascuño, if not worse. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. no, no. I, I, I got a kick out of, you know, Dios, and then there's a heart, a mortar, bumper, common bumper sticker when I was down there. You know, God is love. And I say, but I drive like the devil. <laughs> and, and, you know, then some of the nicest people in the world, then you hear all these stories about the torture and the murder and stuff. It's just, you know, it's kind of hard to reconcile the two different levels of culture there. But anyway. 
That's so true. here is a guy, there's 26 tons uh, on a boat. There's a bunch more dope that he's been responsible for moving. And it takes you 10 minutes to break him. So I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh, <laughs> if only everything was that easy, right? You know? um, well, that's just Eric's capabilities as a, yeah, as a professional you, interrogator. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. That or All just relaying the experience. The, let me tell you what the Venezuelans <laughs> said. We're going to carve you up with razor blades. I'll talk. I'll talk. You know. But uh, So what did he talk about with you? We don't get into brief debriefings or any, you know, trying to get information at that point. You know, we're just our, our goal is to get him safely back to the United States now. Um, and, and talk about that process. What do you have to go through for somebody to voluntarily want to come back to the United States? I mean, what what kind of things do you legally have to document in order to make that happen? You threaten to cut him up with a razor blade. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you, you know, at, at my level, you know, um, basically the uh, Venezuelans uh, expelled him from their country. Um, and so they delivered him to the back of a, a P3 aircraft, customs aircraft. Uh, they're at, uh, uh, at the air base, military air base. Um, but there were concerns, you know, it was a pretty heavily guarded, you know, caravan we had there because we weren't sure, you know, we got two of their main people in custody and, uh, you know, are they going to try to take him out before we get him to the States? Why did the yeah. Venezuelans give him up? Why, did, why didn't they want to keep him and try him and get the glory and credit? What, what, why, why would the Venezuelans <laughs> give him up? <laughs> they weren't going to get anything out of him there, you know, so what if they put him in their jail? I mean, what's there? There's, for them, there's no benefit. If they gotten some of the dope or the money, then they'd, have, you know, they'd have kept him. But, um, and I don't know what sort of other deals might have been cut in the background. But uh, he, you know, he's a U.S. citizen, so he's right, rightfully ours. But they gave us Ivan, and and but Ivan was Colombian, and of course the Colombians, you know, agreed to turn him over to us. So there were no issues there. Uh, so really, the Venezuelans, other than the fact that they may could put some charges on him, had no real, real claim to him. But, uh, you know, those are all the... Now, they said that you said that they let him go because they didn't find dope, but I thought that there was a bunch of dope. I mean, or did that, did that, did that 26 tons, was that just estimated or was that actually seized? I don't remember how much was actually seized, but there, there was, no, not all 26 was seized. There was more out there and that's why they were threatening to, you know, cut up Lewis and, and, and Ivan because they wanted to know where the rest of the dope was. The, the Venezuelans did. It was just hidden on cargo ships out there somewhere, right? Um, from what my understanding and what Lewis tells me is none of it ever made to any, any of the ships. It was all there in the Rio Orinoco, somewhere stashed. And then, you know, when the they jumped the gun and, and went on that raid down there. And so there may be stuff still sitting at the bottom of that river somewhere. You know, who knows? So much or, 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 or the Venezuelans found it. I don't know. You know, or it's floated <laughs> back to the beaches of Miami. Yeah, you know? yeah so, that's, yeah. By yeah. the way, here's a piece of trivia for, there's a very famous uh, Irish musician called uh, Enya, and she sings a lot of songs, and one of them is called the Orinoco Flow, based on <sighs> the Orinoco out of Venezuela. There you go. Huh. Well, there's a lot of addicted fish out that way now. So I be guess. Careful. Fish out there don't eat what you can. Fish, they had a fish swimming long ago. Hey, man. <laughs> what you holding? Yeah. Yeah, what you holding, man? Can you get yeah. me? I'm, I'm hurting Jones and baby. 
All right. So what do fish listen to? Do they listen to the Grateful Dead? I don't know. It's tough to play, put speakers <laughs> underwater like that for them. But uh, so you've got you've got uh, Lewis now in a P3. Uh, I think those were those the like the Orion P3s, those surveillance yeah, craft. Surveillance aircraft, surveillance yeah. aircraft. Yeah. So you've got the P3s. And so uh, very comfortable leather seats, reclining, first class. <laughs> <laughs> Flight attendants, you know, alcohol, right? Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, you're better off laying down on the on the metal floor than you are sitting in, in those uh, those seats that hang on the walls. So tell us about the trip back with Louis. How does that How does that go? Do you have much conversation? Do you have with him? What are you trying to get done on the flight back? Well, you know, you're you're. you're I'm trying to develop rapport with him. You know, and, and um, just get him to face reality and, and, you know, Hey, today's the first day of the rest of your life type of thing. And depending upon the choices you make from here on out is going to have a lot to do with how the end, the rest of your life ends up. And, um, you know, and I, and I've experienced this. I'm, you know, everybody has in law enforcement there, you know, there are people that, you know, they're glad it's finally over. So, you know, people are sometimes just glad they finally got caught because uh, there's a lot of stress and pressure living that lifestyle. And, um, that was true with Lewis. Um, I don't know. I gave him a pack of crackers and something to eat, you know, and uh, um, I don't know, maybe the fact that uh, he was talking to a gringo for the first time and I don't know how many years and felt like he was going home probably, you know, helped him a little bit, a little bit of comfort. Did well, you, you see probably, that? You probably treated him with a little bit of respect, too. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, absolutely. I mean, um, listen, he, He's a likable guy. I mean, he, you know, he, he is respectful, was respectful to everyone in law enforcement. And, uh, so, yeah, so there was no need to treat him with anything other than respect. But there was something a little bit to you also as well unique about Lewis is that not, not only the fact he stayed under the radar, but uh, he didn't like guns. He didn't like violence. He just wasn't one of these big gun carrying, you know, flash a gold plated AK forty seven type of guys. No, no, he he did everything he could to stay away from that stuff. Sometimes it found him like Rascoon. You know, yeah, right? yeah. No, there are, yeah, there were several instances where he was a little worried. And the about... alligators. I remember something about the alligators. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was that oh, was Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, he was very close to being alligator food. Uh, people think we live an exciting life. Holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> so. How long of a trip on a on a P three is it? Uh, I mean, did you have to stop somewhere? Were you able no, to fly no, no, all the way that's back? no, that's maybe maybe two hours. Uh, we flew into Lauderdale, and then uh, of course now now you got all the cameras and uh, all the big shots and the press. And as soon as we landed, people came and took him, stripped him out of my arms, and away he went. <laughs> you know, who took him from uh, you? Was it the marshals or customs? Uh, no, I think it was some customs. I don't think Harley wasn't there. I don't know who all. I, I don't know. You know, just listen. You, you're, you know, you're working this case. You're getting little sleep, and you know, you're constantly moving and seeing different faces, and you know, you just. So I was, I was ready for a break because we'd been down there about a week or so. Then I had to go back to Columbia, you know, and I probably spent the night and got another plane, went back to Columbia. So how long was your initial, so that was, was that the end of your initial relationship with Lewis is just from the arrest flight back and turn him over? No, um, actually, uh, shortly thereafter, I was um, transferred back to the United States to the Tampa office. Yes, because the, you pissed your rack off, apparently. And so now, yeah. let, now let's ask you this. Who did you piss off at the Tampa office by the time you got there? Um, well, 
Okay, here we go. go. The list is long and distinguished. Let me think. Actually, I get kicked out of Pan X when a new GS came in. He wanted to start working air smuggling out of Venezuela. I said, for a maritime operation. Why, you know, and he wanted to dump uh, our bread and butter uh, informant. You're Send kidding. him off to prison. No, 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 no. Pan X is one of the best freaking operations it's ever been. Well, let's, let, we'll have to get to Pan X here in a moment. So let's oh hear about this. So you get, you and the rack butt heads, uh, your tour is not extended in Columbia. Now you're back in Tampa. Right. So how do, how do your paths cross with Lewis then back in Tampa? Well, um, you know, with, with Pan X is a, uh, for those who don't know, is it's a maritime operation and it's Intel driven. Um, Law enforcement uh, works intelligence, whether it be sources or electronic means, wiretaps, uh, a lot of stuff with SOD uh, type of thing. And then we hand off that intel to uh, the uh, JADF East, which is a, a, a naval operation down in Key West that manages our military assets in, in the Caribbean and over in the Pacific. Um and to affect, in essence, the interdiction. They take our information, send the boats out to interdict the smugglers. Um, and, you know, Lewis had information about all those players and um, what, you know, what they were doing, who, who's who in the, in, in the game. And so I then started visiting him up in Coleman. He was assigned to Coleman, which is a federal correctional institute, um, uh, about an hour and a half or so north of Tampa. So I'd go up there and on, for a while there, fairly regular basis going up there and interviewing him. Um, so that's how we kind of got to know each other through all that. Eric, you mentioned uh, JADF, the Joint Interagency Task Force. Uh, just give us a real quick overview of what JADF means. Um, well, Joint Interagency. <laughs> I mean, what it consists of. <laughs> It's a military organization that coordinates um, the military assets in particular e- regions. You've got JADF East, you've got JADF West, and I think they had uh, JADF. There was one that I know operated along the Mexican border at one time. I don't know if that's still in, in operation or not. But... Um, and especially when there's no war going on, it's great exercise for the military. They can send up their aircraft, track, you know, air smugglers, track aircraft. They can, um, you know, try to locate and then track naval assets um, as, you know, teaching them targeting, you know, methodology. And then actually then um, using Coast Guard, uh, what they call uh, um, leadettes or law enforcement detachments, because, you know, the the Coast Guard has arrest powers where the military doesn't because the Coast Guard can has that dual role. Um, so then they would put uh, Coast Guard detachments on these naval vessels, um, as well as obviously on the Coast Guard vessels, and they were the ones who would actually go out and make affect the arrest arrest of the smugglers. Um, and then those cases, once the uh, once there was a seizure, then it was turned over us for the prosecution and follow up investigation. I don't want to give up any means or methods here uh, just because it's such a successful operation. And, you know, when you when you read about or see on television about these huge Coast Guard seizures in the Caribbean or on the western side of Central America, 
that's probably a JADF operation. Or, yeah. I mean, a, yeah. a PANX operation. A PANX, yeah. Working and in so, conjunction with JADF. Yeah, and JADF kind of provides you guys with the assets that you need to do all that, whether it's right. the boats yeah. DEA, or the aircraft. DEA, customs, we don't have boats like that. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you, there's a couple badass people dog on the, especially the military guys. You know, Coast Guard is like the redheaded stepchild next to Space Force now. They, no, no, nobody oh, likes Space yeah. Force. Um, <laughs> But, but that, there were, that would be the fun one to go into now, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Everybody makes fun of the uniforms. Looks too much like Star Trek. Um, but uh, And by the way, here's a clue for you guys. Never dress in red. Anybody in red on Star Trek gets killed. The security guys oh. always get killed. But um, but going back to that, you know, you see those videos, too, of those Coasties. They're, they're going after those uh, cocaine submarines. And there was one picture of this one Coastie who hops off. And these guys aren't slowing down, so he he jumps from the. I think he's on a on a rigid, you know, one of those uh, inflatables. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, jumps onto that thing and is banging on the hood, the banging on the thing of that's like. Can you, can you imagine trying to do a traffic stop in the water? You know, hey, pull over, pull over. But anyway, yeah, some bad, but, but but that's the whole thing is especially post nine eleven, the Coast Guard has a has a increased mission, you know, area of responsibility. And now, did you guys fight with them when they got Title 20? Did they have Title 21 authority? Coast Guard? No, yeah. they, they're they operating all on uh, maritime law. Um, you know, they, uh, again, um, they've got some pretty broad search authority, too, um, based on maritime law. And the, the big, the hardest thing when you're working these cases is getting the, the host, the the host country, the whatever country that ship is flagged under, before you can board them, search them type thing, you got to get their permission. But once once you get permission, then you know you you, you go at it. Yeah, and there's I mean there's some there's some great seizures. You see video of it all the time. They're going to the, they're going after those cigarette boats, those you know uh, speeders and everything else. So, but but now Panex. The other thing too is we say Panex, but what does Panex mean? Panama Express. And what, that, what was yeah. what was where did that come from? Uh, there was a female agent down in Panama, and she was another one that wouldn't back down. I don't know, Steve. Did you ever know her? And, and again, God, I'm terrible. I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting names. But anyway, she was the one that I understand coined that when they were all starting this whole interdiction thing. Um, I think initially um, it was called uh, Privateer. I think DEA was calling it privateer operation. You're privateer. Right. Yeah, you're right. And, and then somehow we we you know um, we get got and I don't know if Customs then proposed Panex, Panama Express. Um, basically, you know the what was happening. A lot of these seizures, we would take the prisoners into Panama uh, because of our treaties with Panama, etc. And um, so you know it was like the express. You you know. You get busted on the high seas, transported to Panama, and then you get the express to the United States. So it was the the express coming from Panama, the Panama Express, bringing them into the U.S. So, and in these in these cases, just for listeners, is is jurisdiction is established either in the District of Columbia or wherever port that they come into. So you know, so it was important for us that if we if, if it was our intel and. Way I always thought the rules should be played. Whoever's intel it was, it should be your case. You know the intel that led to the seizure, and so we would, you know, fly them from Panama, where else we'd have to bring them into the middle district of Florida here, in order to be able to prosecute it. If we took them into Miami, then Miami would have to prosecute. So the middle district, but you're talking about Tampa, right? Tampa area, yes, 
Yes, yeah. and that's where Panama Express is, is headquartered out of the Tampa And if you think office. about it, the Coast Guard cutters, most of them are based out of Key West, which falls into the Southern District of Florida. Right. Now, the dope can go into Key West or anywhere else, but the people have to have to come into the jurisdiction. So, so I think that was the, the express coming from Panama, because that's where, especially back then, the majority of prisoners were taken into Panama. Well, you know, and Morgan, if you remember, we were talking to Zach and... Uh, uh, Tommy Sendrick. I, I kept thinking about the guy with all the F-bombs. <laughs> but the only person talking... who can drop more F-bombs than Samuel L. Jackson is Tommy Sendrick. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I think that, I'll tell you what, we've had some great guests on here. And if but, we had uh, had to bleep out his F-bombs, it would have been one long bleep for an interview. Cause we <laughs> didn't know Especially the was second he a, half. Was he a New Yorker? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's from Maryland. He's oh, from really? Maryland, but but he yeah. did time in uh, he did time in uh, Baltimore, I think, or no, Washington D.C. and stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, Tommy's just a good old redneck farm <laughs> boy from Maryland. Yeah, but if you remember with both of those guys when they were talking about extraditing Victor Boot and uh, and Paul Paul Laroe into the United States, they had to get planes to bring him back into the United States that would land in the jurisdiction where you wanted him prosecuted. You know, which typically is the Southern District of New York because they're so aggressive up there. Oh, yeah. So, and that kind of, you know, ties into what Eric's talking here about with the Southern District versus the Middle District of Florida. So, it's it's all about, it's all about fiefdoms and kingdoms, and it's, this is my case, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I said, and along those lines are, um, there's a group out of Washington called the uh, PD-26 Steve, are you familiar with that? The Presidential Directive 26. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, I think that's the it's a, it's a directive, a president that determines the jurisdiction of, you know, this, what we're talking about here. It was a presidential directive at one time. So we have, we would every so often agents, prosecutors get together. We'd have these annual meetings and I'm, we're in Puerto Rico one time and um, assistant United States attorney down there is arguing that all of these cases, all these seizures that are in the Caribbean should come to Puerto Rico for prosecution. That to him, that was logical. And he's sitting right behind me, you know, <laughs> kind of a tables, classroom type situation. I said, I turn around, I look at him and I say, so you're telling me, here I am again, you're telling me. <laughs> About to make more new friends and get kicked out of another <laughs> operation. Please go ahead. If, if, if you, that it's my source, my intelligence, I'm paying my source. You want me to turn it over to you for prosecution? And he says, well, Yeah. And I said, why don't you go and make your own effing cases? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it was all about stats. That's all I was looking for. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Con, at some point, you got to be writing a memo for all of the shit you're <laughs> nah, saying now. Nah, 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 nah. Well, you think about that, too. I mean, if the, so if the guy goes to trial, you got to bring all your witnesses, the agents, it's, the no, informants, nah, everybody nah, in Puerto stupid. Rico. It's, it's stupid. ridiculous. Yeah, that was yeah, a yeah. turd in a punch bowl. That that wasn't. Yeah. That's just that ain't gonna float, man. <laughs> no, you talking about no, taxpayer right. dollars, waste, fraud, and abuse. That's exactly what that'd be. No, I mean, like, like to me, that's why I, I was astounded that he would even try to propose that. You yeah. know. So. Well, there have been bigger things. So, uh, but now, how long is is Panex still operational? Is it still a still operational? Still going? It's uh, it went to being an operation. I guess it's Panex Strike Force now. I understand it's that they have their own line item in the budget every year. Yeah, um, that was uh, when I was running the uh, the OSTEF Fusion Center there in Washington, the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, which falls under DOJ. Uh, we used to fly down to Tampa for meetings there, and, and that was a discussion about 
you know, what that does is that opens up another big pot of money for Panex to operate off of coming straight out of the DOJ's OCDEF program. So yeah. it is an, it's a OCDEF operation now. Yeah, yeah. Well, they uh, originally there was Panex started with a source um, that was a cooperating source, a Colombian, who uh, was moving a lot of dope up the East Pack. So the original, what they called Panex South, was based in Sarasota. Um, and then when I came on board is when we started Panex, what called North, and we focused on the Caribbean section. And uh, now they're combined and they got some fancy building here. It's one of those places with a black fence and nothing on the side of the yeah, building. Yeah. They got one of those. <laughs> We're not, not a government building. building. <laughs> no, no, they got one of those. They got their own gym. I mean, it's, you know, it's crazy. And one of those places <laughs> where even the cleaning staff has to have yeah. an SF-86 filled out of security clearance. They had a GS-14 that managed the building. You need a light bulb or something like that. Oh, you, you, had to, you had to go to, <laughs> they were just, I don't know, they're padding the payroll, I think. You know, they, and outside they probably got the flag for the United States and every federal agency, whether it's law enforcement, yeah. DOD, whatever it yeah. is up there. Well, plus now, you know, you got state and county folks here too, so they got their flags. There <laughs> so. you go. There you go. We need to have a flag protocol officer. Yeah. So, we'll have yeah. that too. Yeah. so uh, but Eric, you know, before we, you know, as we're going along during your career, how many people did you end up pissing off and have to get moved down? I mean, we're up to three now. I don't how, know. How but, you know, I really, until we started talking about it, I hadn't put it all together. You <laughs> know, the first step to realizing you have a problem is problem to acknowledge it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess, you know, I, I, I guess. I tend to be a logical person, <laughs> and if it's not logical to me, I have a little bit of not so much tolerance, I guess. <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, so many people are afraid to say anything. I mean, right's right, wrong's wrong. Exactly. That's the way I look at it. So so with, with Lewis, but I kind of want to close off on Lewis, too, is that um, how long was your relationship with him officially um, from the time in Venezuela until, you know, you're back in Tampa? How long did you end up interfacing or working with him or debriefing him or running him? Basically, we stayed in touch the whole what he was in jail about five years. The whole time he was there in Coleman, and um, and I kind of became, I guess, the gatekeeper at one point when other uh, agents from around the country, around the world, had something that that, uh, that they thought Lewis might have had some information about. I was usually the one they would contact, and and uh, you know, from especially from the DEA side in particular, um, you know, go talk to him. Um, and then, you know, we can, you know, whenever we had a case or something I thought that might be relevant, he may have some relevant information, we would go up and debrief him on that, get some background or, you know, try to, you know, put some more dope on somebody. Uh, we'd go up and talk to Lewis. Did he help you make some additional cases? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. He, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, he, um, I don't think he originated any cases. Most of his stuff was historical that he gave us because he was, you know, he couldn't do much from where he was. <laughs> Well, you remember, uh, and you know this better than we do, Eric, uh, but I remember from reading the book and then uh, Luis telling us about it as well, he had to get permission from Columbia to cooperate because he didn't want them going yes. back and killing all his family yes. and everything. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. That was, was that Rascunia I think he had to go to? Yeah, basically basically his uh, now ex-wife went up to, uh, she gutsy gal, went kidding. up to him, and, you know, and uh, he said, got nothing to worry about. Oh, and wow. well, you got nothing to worry about, but you don't get to keep the money either. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, um, but 
you know, it's kind of, honestly, most, most Colombians end up cooperating. I mean, I, one of the first cases, and this is how really was the beginning, the, the thing that really kicked off Panex North, um, had a boat captain, um, got some bad advice and he didn't cooperate. Um, he gets to federal prison. He was up in Coleman too, for a while. Um, and, uh, gets in there and finds out everybody, but him's cooperated and he's looking, he, he, got, he got life initially, you know, cause it's like his second or third federal charge. Um, so, um, I was asked, um, to hook up with a couple FBI agents and go interview this guy. And, um, so now he's ready to give up everything, you know, who hired him, who, you know, just the whole nine yards, all the other stuff he'd ever done. And, you know, he just came completely clean and, and I felt bad for the guy. He's got, got a rule 35 and stuff, but he was still looking at another 20 years. Um, and I, he used to call me all the time, you know, trying to, See what I could save do for me, save me. No, well, and just, we have discussed and, Rule Thirty Five on this podcast before. Some of these players will become familiar with it, but Rule Thirty Five is tell us, Eric. Um, it's um, after you're convicted, if you can come up, get some new information that leads, um, you know, to new cases, arrests, seizures, whatever, then that's taken into consideration. You get further reduction in your in your sentence. So going back to Luis now. Um, now, is it, let's be clear, is it Louis or Luis? Because I'm just thinking, I, I, to me, when I look at it, it, it looks like Luis. You know, that's dependent upon if you want to throw the, the uh, Hispanic uh, accent on it or, you know. Well, mi español es perfecto, mi accento es perfecto. So, <laughs> okay. bienvenidos, Luis. amigos. So, no soy Luis. So. <laughs> Luis. <laughs> Luis. But um, what was Luis, I mean, when we talked to Luis, he was facing a lot of years. He got a healthy Rule 35 benefit, I think, from his cooperation, didn't he? Yes. Well, start off with is, well, um, the fact that he didn't get charged is his role in that whole Venezuelan deal. Um, that really that probably s- saved his life. I mean, literally. That, yeah, yeah, no, he'd, yeah, he'd still be in jail if he got snagged with that all that. Dope. His guidelines would probably start like. Yeah, 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 no, he's, yeah. No, and uh, and and you know, Bob Harley w- really went to bat for him on, on that one. So, and how important was his cooperation to you guys? I mean, I know he's just one guy, but is this one guy that is compared to the others has a lot of between the historical information helps you guys get a better idea of how things work? You know, what was the effect of his cooperation uh, with you and with DEA? You know, I can't I can't cite specific examples because um, as this whole Panex thing morphed, um, I was more on the intel side of the stuff. I mean, I worked the intel to the point where the seizures were affected, and then kind of the you know building that wall. Um, the cases were then turned over to other agents who had no idea what intel was used or what assets were used. And all they know is that it starts with an interdiction on the high seas. And that's all they need to know. Um, you know, you didn't have to get into your sources or any of that sort of thing. So um, really a lot of the other 
he provided a lot of information to a lot of other agents who were working, you know, they'd have a seizure and find out that it was involving somebody that Lewis had maybe done some work for. So they'd go and they'd talk to Lewis and, and get information that would help their case. And then for the same reason, I, I mean, I, well, I, I really didn't need to know. I have enough of my own business to deal with on the Intel side to know what, you know, these guys, how their cases were coming for court. And, you know, that's that's a great education for the investigators, too, because the more you learn about how the op, the the big cocaine or whatever, it doesn't have to be cocaine, the big drug trafficking organizations operate, the better equipped you are to try to thwart their efforts, to try to work your way in there and, and put your butts in jail. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, myself and my partner was, uh, Mike Diorio was uh, with the Homeland Security guy, and I still have a heart, I don't know what they're calling themselves now, but... Uh, a former customs guy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and, and he and I um, ran uh, the made, major, the main source for uh, Panex North. Uh, and, you know, he had, um, he was, this guy, uh, I knew about him when I was in Columbia. He was a major target for us. He's actually the individual who went to Eduardonio and got them to reconfigure their open fisherman boat, reinforce the transom, and uh, hung twin Yamahas on it. Uh, so he he kind of he pioneered that whole go-fast concept um, with the Eduardonio. And so um, funny, because it wasn't that, it was that boat captain that I interviewed gave up this individual as the, uh, as the, the uh, transportation guy, the coordinator, transportation coordinator who, who arranged the whole load. Um, I talked to some other people on his crew, the boat captain's crew, and uh, got two or three people to, to cooperate what he said. And I ended up getting a warrant here in the middle district. Um, you know, when it's your time, it's your time because his then, um, I guess I will call her a paramour. It wasn't his wife, uh, but the mother. Nah, she didn't even. I don't. He didn't have any kids. He had one kid with her. Anyway, um, he was living in Panama at the time and was getting ready to go to buy some freighters and stuff out of Europe along the same lines that Lewis was doing. And um, he asked her to come to Panama and meet with him to discuss financial things and the kids and stuff because he figured he was going to be gone for a while uh, to, to Europe. And so she got pissed off and uh, went into the Baron Kia office and gave them the information about he was going to be there. So I took my little piece of paper and flew down to Panama and working with the, with the Panamanian police there. Um, it was funny because I, I can remember this day I was sitting on a bench at the airport, right at the bottom of the escalator where people were, were coming down the escalator. And uh, I saw him. I, and I had seen some photographs of him, but the guy was distinctive enough. He's from San Andreas. He was a distinctive enough looking individual. As soon as I saw him, I just kind of tapped the Colombian cop on the leg and got up and walked away because, you know, they don't, not supposed to be involved in those things. And, um, I like the way you say I'm not supposed to be involved in those things, but I'm going to get involved in those things. So, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like some other guests we've had on our show that were supposed to stay at the base, Steve, and how about Chris and Dave, supposed to never, don't leave the base? Yeah. I have no recollection of that, John. Yeah. And um, so anyway, so in, no, her name, was her name Renee? Yeah, the female agent 
DEA agent in Panama at the time, Renee, oh, something. Anyway, so we're, you know, all this negotiations going on in the back room there at the airport. And I guess, you know, he's a Colombian citizen. They're just going to expel him from the, the country. We've had the DEA jets sitting out there on the runway waiting to go. The head of narcotics, the head of the number two guy from narcotics found out we had him in custody and he was blocking us taking him out of the country because he had not been notified. Well, so Renee gets on the phone with him. So obviously she knew him from her years in Panama working narcotics with him. She just reads him the riot act. And, you know, yeah, no, five minutes later, we're airbound. <laughs> you know, we're in the air. So I said, damn, girl. <laughs> you know, good job. She was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, I wish I could remember her name. I, I, after she left Panama, I, I lost track to wherever she went. But uh, yeah. And it was funny because. Again, uh, Joe Ruddy was the assistant United States attorney working, uh, working this. And he said, and, and for whatever reason, don't wait till you get in international airspace. Don't let him say anything. Don't talk to him about anything and, you know, nothing. Just, you know, wait till you get in international airspace. So he, right away, he said, man, I tried to turn myself in and, you know, they kicked me out of the embassy in Bogota. And, you know, and then I come around to the embassy in Panama and the guard wouldn't even let me get to the gate and you know so stop talking um, stop so talking he, he, yes he did i said listen listen stop we're not going to talk yet wait so when the pilots told me we had cleared international airspace i said okay now we can start talking and he just wouldn't shut up and it was funny because it was myself uh jose uh jose uh, fbi agent uh anyway it was the two of us we had to overnight in Gitmo, so they put us up to what's Gitmo. Uh, Tell everybody what Gitmo um, is. The uh, it's oh come the, on, uh, everybody knows where Gitmo is. Gitmo. It's called yeah. Gitmo. In, in, uh, in Cuba, the there the the military base in Cuba. This is pre again pre nine eleven, and and uh, we were probably the only guests there at the time. But anyway, so they give us we're in we're in the you know the the BOQ, the Bachelor Officers Quarters, and. Um, so they give us like this little one bedroom efficiency type thing. And so we put our, you know, again, we, we'll just go to bed. We'll talk tomorrow. We'll go talk tomorrow. So now we put him in the bedroom. And um, so now one of us has got to stay awake all night, oh, you know, we, <laughs> and uh, just keep an eye on this guy. So anyway, so, you know, you know, we, we get him back to States and, you know, that was, what was that? 2001 and we're now 21 years later he's still working he's so still qu quick question um wh what was the concern about the assistant united states attorney though you'll hear uh these guys say and other feds say ausas but what was the concern with the ausa of about him why why was there a concern about speaking before you had cleared into international I, I, airspace I, I really it didn't make sense to me i i don't understand this day i don't understand because you know um, I, he probably had tried a case somewhere and it became a, an issue. And so he was just eliminated and anybody bringing that point of contention up again. I don't know. And, you know, uh, I don't know either. I know Joe Ruddy, but I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, well, well, no. Well, uh, if that held true, then you couldn't talk to any source in a country until you were in international waters. I, I don't know, but you know. Yeah. So most when of the we time. Want to. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't supposed to get involved, but I did. <laughs> I, li I like the way you, you, uh, you know, caveat some things here. So, uh, 
Eric, so let's talk about the next country you got kicked out of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that would have been Pan X. (laughs) Now, let's talk about that for a second. So uh, you, you're a logical guy. You're like the Spock of DEA. You know, things got to make sense. So what's, and it was maritime, right? You're a maritime operation. So what started happening that got you crossways? New GS came in. Um, and GS is a group, a group supervisor. supervisor. Yeah. Yeah. He came in and, um, you know, it's like a new sheriff coming to town. He wants to bring in all of his own, you know, guys for his command staff. And, um, and the, the GS who I was working for at the time, they sent him down to Pan X South. This is before they combined. So then they bring in this new GS and, um, you know, he just, wanted to shake things up. They wanted to get rid of, um, our, our primary source who, by the way, was still, um, was still, you know, producing. Um, we had him in a County jail and we would go every day and pick him up out of jail and take him back every night. And he had a network of when we refer to him as subsources down in Columbia who were supplying him with information about go fast leaving and, you know, different things. Um, so, um, for whatever reason, uh, he wanted him out and wanted to start working air smuggling cases. And I just, uh, didn't express my dissatisfaction with that plan. And next thing I know, I'm transferred back to a regular enforcement group. Back to, uh, back to working meth in Ottumwa, Iowa, <laughs> yeah. someplace like no, that. I just, they sent me back across the bridge over into Tampa and, uh. Which was fine. But but why, what was the, if you were a maritime group, why is it, I mean, can a group supervisor change the focus of an entire operation from one thing to another? He probably could have done it because the ASAC was was going along with it. Um, But, you know, it just, it didn't make sense to me. Well, and he's going to have to, because that's an OCDF. Uh, operation this is, now. This is pre. This is pre. It oh, couldn't okay. it, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it today. No, but back yeah. then, yeah, no, it was. And then you know, it's um. Listen, we we had some really uncharted ground because, um, all right, DEA has some very strict guidelines on informant handling and especially the payment of informants. So you know, we had our main source, and we developed a system where you know he. He provided us with this information that he got from the subsources, but yet since he's in county jail every night, um, he's got to have some way to pay his subsources. So we would pay him, and then we set up bank accounts for these guys. And then part of our job, and we 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 would travel down to Columbia and elsewhere and debrief these subsources. So you know we check that little box off, um, and then we would give him an ATM card. Well. We stopped doing that because the accounts were being overdrawn all the time. <laughs> so, so we had to resort back to going down and make payments in person to them. But anyway, so, um, you know, we, we caught some flack about some of our methodology. Um, you know, everything we were, I mean, to the point where we were using QuickBooks to um, keep up with us. And I will give, uh, and uh, it was Jeff Brunner was my group soup. And uh, I will say that Jeff was pretty astute in that Jeff really stayed on top of the finances on this whole thing. And um, 
really, he was the one in charge of the finances. And so we, we had QuickBooks. And so everything was documented in QuickBooks. Well, um, I was told later that I had to, that there was going to be an accountant was going to be brought in and that uh, I had to transfer everything that was in QuickBooks because he was used to having everything in a ledger. So I had to start from day friggin' one and Bullshit. transcribe everything. And you know, you, you, you know, the ASAC, um, Steve. Um, and so, yeah, I had to do that. I had had foot surgery. And so I was doing midnights on a T3. So that's what I did for a whole month. Oh my God. And then, and then and a T3 I, for those folks out there, it's a title three. You're title up three, on a wire, wire, wire tap. tap. Yeah. Yeah. We were doing a wire tap. And, uh, so I got night diff and differential and holiday pay. So <laughs> if you got to do something, try to take advantage, <laughs> get the yeah. best of it. You, can. Yeah, you know? So anyway, um, so yeah. And then, you know, did anybody come and tell me that we passed the audit with flying colors? No, it just, you know, typical never went anywhere, you know? Unbelievable. So, yeah. Some things so, never change. No. So, um, yeah. Speaking so, of eliminating waste, fraud, and abuse, if we could just eliminate <laughs> trivial shit like that, the government could actually be in the red. Mm-hmm. I mean, the black. You know, and then, yeah, and then when I, when I got transferred, it was like I get hauled before the and asked what I, well, because they were asking me specifically about the money. And I said, and I looked at them finally, these questions, I said, have you talked to the GS about this? And, uh, and then the, it was like, put to me like, well, what, what have you been doing for the last F4 effing years? And I, and I, again, here's me. I said, you should know you've been signing my outstanding evaluations. There you <laughs> so go. That was my response. And as a result of this, what was your next transfer? No, I was, no, no, well, that's, 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 that's what I think finally got me transferred back into a regular enforcement group when I said that. Probably, you know, I got transferred the next I day. I identify with transferred. you, brother. I was responsible, <laughs> I think, for more department and, you know, patrol policy than any one individual. Speaking about that, just, I don't know, Steve, how many pages were the, the rules of conduct when you came on DEA? Two? Oh, Lord. Maybe? I, yeah, it was pretty short. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when I retired, it was about 15 to 20. I don't know. And I could go through there and I could point out, oh, that was agent so-and-so who didn't know you couldn't drive, drink and drive. This is called a, a Kaminsky Memorial yeah, yeah, policy yeah. here. Yeah. No, I could, I could go through it. About half of them, I could say, oh, this was agent so-and-so that caused this rule to be put in place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how many rules are you responsible for, Eric? No, no, none. I just, uh, you know, I, I, I know when to stop. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, well. But all right. So, how many years on uh, when you were, uh, re- you know, when you left Panex, you went back to the the field office? How many years on did you have at that point? Uh, I had what seventeen, seventeen with DEA, and then I spent. Um, yeah, I spent. Did I spend another year in, in in a regular enforcement group, and then and then in my last year, uh, I was asked to transfer over to diversion uh, groups who came to me because I I had. Um, I was a short timer and the agent, the diversion group is comprised of civilian investigators that deal with the regulation of pharmacies and audits of pharmacies, that sort of thing. And so when they come across a criminal violation, you need an agent there to to pursue that criminal violation. So I was asked to go over there because the agent had been been over there was uh, now we're 
uh, you know, post 9-11 and uh, he was in, in the reserves and got deployed. So I went over there and, and I rounded out my career there for about eight months or something over there. And hey, it worked out for me because I had a bunch of sick leave built up and, um, you know, she said, just don't take three days off in a row. And so I whittled down my sick leave because back then you didn't get paid for your sick leave. You know, so. So when, what was that about three days in a row though? You couldn't take more than three days in a row? Yeah, sick leave? yeah she said, don't take three days in a row off, you know. It looks suspicious. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It looks like you're, so, abusing, you're abusing the. So your weekends look like Friday through Monday then? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. They're on occasion. <laughs> Not every time. Neither confirm nor deny, Senator. <laughs> Not every time. You got to throw some variation in there. Go Wednesday and Thursday off every now and then. <laughs> but no, I, you know, it's funny. I, I enjoyed that too because that was back when um, the pill mills were real big here in Florida. Um, and so we, we did, did that. You, did, did, you know, there was a, a whole, uh, there was a new series on Hulu called Dope Sick, and it was about Oxycontin and the whole thing that happened with that and the role of DEA and, and the U.S. attorneys bringing that down. Did you get involved with any of the Oxycontin stuff? Yeah, that was at the very beginning. And, and Oxy, it, it continued to explode even after I left. Uh, but yes, I was, I was part of that. Yep. Yep. In the, in the very beginning. And that, then Florida changed its law. Thank goodness. Yes. Um, it used to be that the um, pharmacies wouldn't communicate with each other and stuff. Is, and so people would basically go, you know, doctor shopping and, and go to different pharmacies and just they'd come from out of state. They'd bring vans of loads of people down here from other states and hit these 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 uh, pill mills. And it was just some unscrupulous doctor would open up shop. And, and nine times out of 10, they had their own pharmacy within the place and they're probably making more money off of, off of selling the drugs than they were the, uh, the actual visits that they were charging for. And then, then they take that same set of documents and go from pharmacy to pharmacy and having the script filled. Um, and then there was also the whole internet thing, you know, you pay your whatever fee and the doctor over the telephone call. So, oh yeah, you need uh, you need pain medication. And, uh, so we were going after those guys too. So that was kind of fun. I got to do some traveling around the United States, hitting different places with, with that. So, so l let's talk about that real quick too, because you know that has been such a scourge too. Because um, that whole thing—they've just finally finished the settlement with Purdue Pharmaceuticals. I, I think it's—I can't remember how many billions it was, and the Sackler family got had to disgorge at least some of their profits. I mean, we're talking billions of dollars, thousands of lives. I mean, people died. You know, thousands of people addicted. Um, talk, talk about that a little bit. I mean, how big was, when you got into this, how many, how much money was being made on this? How many people were being affected by this? You know, I can't, in, in terms of the vast amount of monies, I, you know, I, I could only speculate, um, cause I wasn't working the, the money side of these guys. Um, but, um, it just, I, you know, you walk into these these pill mills, and and I used to go in there and, uh, undercover and stuff too. And um, I mean, they're, they're, it's just and then doing surveillance. It's a constant stream. There are probably a couple thousand people a day going in and out of these places, and that's just one location. Um, you know, uh, I just it's incredible. And then and then you hear about in the news all the deaths and everything else that go along with it. So, and and you hear about the arrests that were. Uh that were being they were taking place in these doctors and they it wasn't unusual to find multi-million dollars either in cash in their houses or in and you know 
bank accounts that could be identified. They were making a ton of yeah. money off this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, after I left, they brought in uh, a task force agent. He was a financial crimes guy from the sheriff's department, and that's all he did. Then he just went after the money of all these guys and working these diversion cases. And you know, may, like you say, millions and millions. So you know, there was. <clears throat> I brought an agent in from uh, from DEA Miami when I was running the Fusion Center. And, uh, you know, it was, was kind of like a, an education for the, the folks there at the Fusion Center to learn more about the uh, pain clinics and the pill mills and so forth, what was going on. And he talked about working undercover there. And I can't remember if he said it was Pembroke Pines or it was all the way up farther north and, you know, up in Broward County where one of these pain clinics was. And uh, he'd, been, he'd gone in there several times and seen the guy and, you know, the doctor and explained his ailments. And he kept pres- prescribing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of of pain medications, whether it's oxy or whatever it might be. And finally he goes in and he says, uh, listen, doc, I, I got to be straight with you. He said, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a DEA agent and, uh, I, I don't have any medications. Oh no, he didn't say he was a DEA case. He said, look, I, I, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm addicted to pain pills. He said, well, you know, I can't prescribe you anymore. And he said, I know, I know. I just wanted to be honest with you and, and put our, our cards out on the table because you've been so nice to me. And he says, okay, well, listen, I'm going to give you one more prescription, but don't ever come back. <laughs> I mean, what an idiot. Yeah. All about money. And that's all it was. It was about money and the, you know, they changed their marketing tactics. You know, they, I didn't realize this too, but the thing when you go in and they give you that scale of pain that says, where do you rate yourself for pain? That was a Purdue pharmaceutical thing. Oh, really? And that was the whole. They yeah, started that? They start. It was all about marketing. The the whole issue of what's well, called breakthrough pain now. So it allows you to even increase the size of the pill. So they went from fifty milligram to hundred milligram to two hundred milligram. I mean, Damn. pretty soon the size of the pills looked like horse pills. It took a post hole. You know, you had to get a ram one of those old black powder rifles and ram the thing down somebody's throat. Those pills were getting so big. But, um, but I mean, like you said, that was kind of what you did for the last eight months. But I mean, even then, it's like between that, between the illegal stuff, it's like sometimes it's the legal stuff that does just as much or more harm in some ways because it's accessible. And you've got people in positions of power that are giving you access to it. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. Um, Absolutely. And then I think it was Pfizer here I read recently there, they, they paid the single largest, I think, criminal fine, you know, in history. More than Purdue? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. wow. Um, and, um, you know, we could get into current day pharmaceuticals and vaccines and, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I work for the government, you know, my whole career I've worked for a government, you know, and uh, unfortunately, I I question a lot of things we're being told these days. You know, oh, yeah. it, 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 the problem is you just don't, you know, it's just uh, your trust is eroded. So do your research, do your homework. Thank you very much. Don't accept what you hear from other people. Do it yourself. Yeah, do I think you said that you. a couple of times there, Murph. So uh, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. I say it everywhere I go. Hey, then same thing with us. Do your research, do your fact checking. Do not accept, take Edgar Allan Poe's advice because he said it first back, I think like 1860, believe nothing that you hear and only one half that you see. Yeah. So yeah. that's good advice. Hey, so Eric, when did, when was your, uh, when did you end your, uh, Tour of duty with DEA. When's the final time they kicked you out? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I left voluntarily 
Um, in good standing, you, you know, I, you I retired. Yeah, I could have stayed a couple more years. Um, I, I retired, yes, in good standing. Um, and I always tell people, oh, yeah, this guy's an ex-DEA agent or ex-cop. Ex, I said, ex, did he retire? Or was there some other reason that he left? Don't just, just don't take that X is a, is a good thing. Uh, you know, do your homework. Um, anyway, no, uh, December 31st, 2007 was my last day. Uh, and now, how does, from a retirement standpoint, how many years did you have federal and were you able to include your state retirement? I mean, or were those two separate things? Two separate things, two separate things. So I got my, uh, 20 plus years and 55, uh, with the federal retirement. Oh, so you're living large then. Not really. Not with inflation. <laughs> <laughs> Again, living large in Barron Kia, which is the hot spot of uh, Columbia. Yeah, and too, I, I, you know, didn't mention this part, but I did end up with a, a Colombian wife out of this whole deal too. So uh, I did, did okay. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's she yeah. from? She's actually uh, Cali Bogota, um, from both you know, born in Cali and uh, grew up pretty much in, in uh, Bogota. And we actually met in Barranquilla about three months before I PCS back to the states. Uh, they say the prettiest girls come from Cali. Yeah, yeah. Well, they also say that you know DE agents come back with, uh, when they go down to Columbia, they come back with a Colombian wife, yeah. even the married ones. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> no, no, no. We had that working with the... Uh, I, a couple guys. A couple yeah. guys. I know. Working with one of the Colombian offices, and they're looking at him, and I was just, I was being honest. I said, look, man, I bet a lot of guys, you know, come down here single and, and leave married. She says a lot of married men, you know, come down here and leave single, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's just, uh, oh, man. So uh, I didn't come yeah. back with I didn't come back with Colombian wife. I came back with two Colombian daughters. There you go. There you go. Now, but JP tried to <laughs> adopt a couple of Colombians too, but they were over eighteen years old, and the government wasn't going to allow it. Uh, okay, he's single. You could give him a hard time for trying. Well, see, I, I bragged that I did come back without a Colombian wife because it was like two years after I came back that we got married. There you go. So, so. ah, congratulations. <laughs> Took you two years to close the deal. I, Again, I know I bucked the system, you know. A little bit of rabble rouser. Stirring that pot. Stirring that pot. Well, let's let's talk about what you're doing now to stir the pot. So once you left DEA December twenty or thirty first, you said two thousand seven. What'd you what'd you do after that? Uh I started um uh, my own private investigative agency. Um and I'm still doing that uh, to this day. Must doing be the successful. PI thing. Um yeah, it's uh, it it is, and I and I work as much as I want. And I guess if I'm going to butt heads with anybody now, it's myself. So, um. <laughs> but you know, the best thing about when you work for yourself, because I've been doing that for a long time now too. You you, you can fire clients. I mean, you can fire people you don't want to work for. It's like uh, no, exactly. I don't want to work for you. Yeah, no, exactly, You're fired. exactly. Um, but it's uh, a lot of work. Um, I do. I, I um, and Steve will know Jim Milford. Um, mm -hmm. Jim and a, and a buddy of mine, uh, who's also a customs agent have, uh, have a company out of Miami and I do a lot of work for them. I'm, uh, you know, part of their group. Um, what kind of investigations? We do a lot of most, a lot, most of what we do is litigation support, a lot of corporate stuff, um, which, you know, entails, you know, a lot of surveillance and then due diligence type reporting and, and that sort of thing. But, um. Yeah, it's a variety of things. Uh, uh, get involved with a different products. You know, if there's some product issues, you know, I, I know a lot about pallets, uh, shipping pallets, working cases like that. Um, they're just. I mean, 
what it's wood, it's nailed together. What else do you got to know about pallets? There's a whole business side of this thing where, you know, if there's a system where money's being made and if somebody can find a way to exploit that system and cheat the system, they'll do it. So you're selling them two pallets when in when in reality you're only delivering one or No, no, this has to do with there's uh there's about three companies out there that lease their pallets. And so if these, they call them the pallet gypsies, these guys go around behind stores, collect pallets. They come up with some of their pallets. They take it to a pallet recycler. And the program's set up that these companies that lease the pallets buy back their pallets. They pay you like a collection fee. Well, these recyclers can make more money reselling those pallets than they can Giving it back to the rightful owner, and um, so that's where the that's where the the, the fraud comes in, or the it's actually it's theft, you know. Oh yeah, uh, of these things. So yeah, hence who would have thunk it? Yeah, hence who would have thunk it? No, I yeah, you know, and then then when you start looking around, there's pallets everywhere, and I don't think there's there's hardly any commodity that's not delivered to the store on a pallet. Coming from big beef country, Southwest Kansas, world's largest beef packing plant out there. You want to talk, I mean, there were companies out there, that's all they did was make pallets, deliver pallets, because the food's got it. You got to put the byproducts on it. You got to put the meat on it. Yeah. Um, those huge Jeez. things. And hence, I just realized, too, where the uh, reference to Paul Drake, Perry Mason's investigator came from. So it's a, uh, it was the tie into your current work as an investigator. So <laughs> yeah. do you fancy yourself, Paul Drake? Will we see you in a fancy suit and slick back hair? I, I, I'm more of a Tom Selleck, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I got a closet full of Tommy Bahama Hawaiian shirts. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. oh, talk, you're talking oh, my no. language, brother. Oh. <laughs> but I tell you, my wife doesn't like me to wear them a whole lot. She says well, they're you, outdated. Take a look at my hat. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I, I, I saw it. I saw everything it. <laughs> I own. Pretty much everything I own is Tommy Bahama. <laughs> well, she's allowed me to wear some of the more current Tommy Bahama stuff. You know, so she's got great taste. I can't, can't complain. <laughs> uh, well, she picked you, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, so, uh, so actually real quick too, when you met your wife, did she speak any English? Uh, uh yes. As a matter of fact, um, she was, uh, the, uh, director of the Berlitz, uh, language school there in Barranquilla. And it was actually a blind date is how we met is another agent in the office was engaged to marry a Colombian gal. And so he was having her attend English classes prior to returning to the U S and so she says, Hey, my fiance's got a bunch of, you know, single guys. So. That's that was the beginning of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, the funniest joke, well, not the funniest, but one of the funniest ones. I'm speaking of Berlin School. Have you seen that uh, kind of commercial on there where it's you hear this, you see this kid, and he looks like he's in some kind of a navy uniform, but he's sitting there, and guy pats him on the arm, and he says in German, just monitor the radios. And then pretty soon you hear this British voice come on there. Attention, Jim and Coast Guard. We are sinking. We are sinking. We need your help. We are sinking. And the guy in the German Coast Guard goes, hello, this is the German Coast Guard. Uh, what are you sinking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, is, it, was for the Ger- it was for the Berlitz School of English. <laughs> oh, that was, uh, yeah, that's a great commercial. Oh, that was, uh, it was funny. The kid kind of red haired, looked like a fresh face, you know, recruit and stuff. So, but, uh, all right. So we, we, we do, we do, we, uh, we've established that. So, um, what is the, you know, are all your cases just corporate stuff or did you get, have any of these led to any like real, uh, cloak and dagger type of stuff? 
No, no, no. I, I wouldn't say any real cloak and dagger stuff. I, we, I avoid domestic stuff because no matter what the outcome is, they don't want to. Nobody wins. Nobody no, wins in no. those. No, and then they don't want to pay you because they say she's cheating. You, you say you prove she's not cheating, and they get mad and tell you you didn't do your job. Or if you prove she's cheating, they're pissed off. And you know, no, I just I stay away. Can't from win. Them. No, um, no. There's, um, you know, it's. It's it's really one one reason I like it is because it's so it's so varied. So many different things come up. Long, you know, um, yeah. But from a safety standpoint, personal safety standpoint, much safer than uh, running dope and uh, informants in uh, foreign countries. For, yeah, there's um, you know there's some sketchy neighborhoods from now and then you got to go into. Uh, matter of fact, one of the things I was recently. Uh, contracted to do is I got these like home health care people um, going into some bad neighborhoods. They're now deciding they want armed, you know, bodyguards basically to go with them. Uh-huh. Um, so I'll be doing some of that, you know, we, uh, in Florida here is a private investigator. You're allowed to do, uh, you know, executive protection or you're allowed to protect people. Uh, my mm-hmm. license doesn't allow me to protect property, but I can protect people. So yeah, I'll be now- doing some of that. Don't you, you know, Murph, I know you do it. I've got it. It's the HR 218. You know, it's the law enforcement concealed carry. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you got that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But in Florida, as a private investigator, you're required to have a separate state license, a G license. Um, um, I don't know, you know, a lot of, and we always say, hey, we got HR 218. Um, And they're also the same thing as, hey, what about a concealed carry? Because really the only reason you've got it is for in defense of yourself or someone else, uh, just like any citizen would have that authority uh, to utilize a firearm in those situations. Um, so there may be some changes in law, but right now I've got to, even though I've got HR 218, I've got to have the, uh, the, they call it G license here. And, uh, and for, I guess G for gun, <laughs> the gun license, you know, well, you're, you're the trained investigator. You tell me <laughs> this Florida. <laughs> so, oh, you can't say G just remember you can't say G. So, uh, can't say gun. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, but actually the funny for the folks that may not be tracking. So they ch- passed some laws and stuff especially post 9-11 to where if you're, if you meet certain criteria, I think now it's a minimum of 10 years, good service. You can get, uh, you have to go in and do a yearly qualification and you can get a concealed carry permit. That's good. You know, throughout the nation, it standardizes your ability to carry concealed. But you know, the one thing I still have a, uh, I have a gripe with, cause now I'm starting to feel it in my knees when they start doing the, uh, you remember the one part where you got to get it down on your knees and takes kneeling. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Dude, come on. Can can how about if we just sit on a chair or a stool? <laughs> uh, fortunately here in Florida, we don't have to go down to a kneeling position or a prone position. Uh, yeah. Uh, you just have to you just have to drive your car through the front of a the diner somewhere and take a shot at the <laughs> at the target. Uh, yeah. Well you won't blend in. Exactly. Just the oh, land of turtles down here. <laughs> well, I told you that was, I think I, I told you this before, Murph, too, but one uh, of the first training I ever went to down in Florida, law enforcement training, I see this T-shirt and I wasn't sure where it was going. It said, when I go, dot, 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 I want to go peaceful and asleep like my grandfather did. And then they walk by and you always have to see what's on the back. It said, not like the other six people screaming in his car. <laughs> 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 yeah. <clears throat> That'd be me. I mean, yeah. uh, that's why I don't ride with Murph anymore. I'll, I'll take Uber. I'll take somebody who's uh, um, <laughs> got all the tickets. No, hey, but look, but Eric, I mean, this has been great too, because what's fun is 
you know, you dealt with Luis for so long, or Luis, as we say in Espanol, so Luis, but you dealt with him for so long. Kind of let's let's close out with this on a scale of one to 10, like when you get somebody who's a 10, like a Pablo or an El Chapo, you know, in terms of their rank and structure and their importance in the organization and ones are just like, you're, you're just street level hand to hand dealers that are out there on the street somewhere just dealing in grams. Where does, where does Luis rank in terms of like structure in the overall organization? Where would he have been? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to rate maybe about an eight. And that's, that's because he provided a really vital role, you know, the transportation role. Um, but in, but in terms of the, the narco lifestyle, the narco personality, you know, he's like, you know, he's like a one or two or something. He's, you know, he's, um, he's, he's a businessman. I mean, he could, well, he's doing well now in, in business, but uh, you know, he, he, and he even admits it, if he had just put his energies in other directions, instead of trying to, you know, make the fast buck and the high life, uh, he got caught up in an early age with that whole glamorous, you know, Miami dope scene. And so, yeah, but, but, you know, he, he provided their, the logistics that are involved in transportation at that level. It's pretty, pretty sophisticated. Yeah, and if you don't think logistics are important, ask the Russian army as they as they yeah. grind to a halt and their logistics suck and their ability to supply fuel and food. And one of the reasons that that, that everything went south for those guys down in Venezuela is because um, they didn't follow Lewis's suggestions or recommendations and people started doing other things and uh, it led to exposure. So who knows what how it turned out if, you know, if... if Lewis had his way completely in that whole operation. Been twenty five thousand more kilos of cocaine over in over in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Hey, so let's close out with this. One of the last things he said, and I know you kind of poo pooed it a little bit, but it, Lewis was very serious when he talked to us about it. He said you saved his life in more ways than one. I mean, I, I don't think it's just the getting arrested, but I think it was you guys created kind of a unique relationship. Um, what did Luis mean, and how did he? How does he tell you when he says, "Look, uh, you know, Eric, you saved my life." Uh, one, well, he, he'd either be dead, somebody, you know, something would have happened and somebody wouldn't be as forgiving as Rascuño was in that particular case, or he'd still be in federal prison. He'd die in, in federal prison. I mean, if they put everything on him that he was responsible for, it was a life sentence. Um, and, and then the lifestyle too, you know, he got, he got out of that lifestyle being arrested, you know, in terms of the drugs and the heavy drinking and, and all that business. I mean, that'll kill you too. So, you know, I, I mean, when he got out of jail, I, he, I was the first person he saw, you know, he said, you know, I met him at the hotel where he was staying and, you know, that's when we kind of established how we were going to continue cooperating, you know, how he's going to continue working with us. Well, and he's continued to cooperate and work with you to this day, just in other ways, right? You guys actually still go out to dinner and yeah, get together, yeah, no, right? No, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He's met my wife, um, my, uh, met our little toy Pomeranian uh, dog. Uh, we've met his current girlfriend and, you know, I, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I know his sister. I've met his sister before and stuff. And so, yeah. So, and I think there's a picture in the book, but there's another one too, right? Where you guys get together and he kind of completes the joke. Doesn't he give a tie out? Yeah. When, uh, when, uh, Jesse Fink was up here, we, uh, the four of us had, uh, lunch with, with together, Bob, Lewis, myself and Jesse. And, uh, so get, 
Bill Lewis, a practical, you know, he loves to joke around and, you know, have a good time. So he got, got Harley another tie, <laughs> presented, presented the tie to him. Bob was still working at the time. He's since retired. But uh, so Bob was a little more reserved at that meeting because he's worked for internal affairs for, for yeah, the Homeland Security. Oh, there's, there's, <laughs> now, could he actually accept so, the tie or did he have to have Luis keep it for him? You know, it was under 25 bucks. I don't, I don't remember. Go. What the, was a, it was, I don't, I, Here's I, a Maserati. You know, it's under I can't, $25. I can't, yeah. I can't remember what the rules, what the rules were, but, um, I, I know I never took anything because, you know, you take, they just, I never took anything, but that's why I think Bob was a little uncomfortable, but since there had been a history, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. you know, but but think about this. All these cases, Steve, I mean, Murph, did you ever have a case where somebody just it, it was kind of in a good natured way, but it was kind of like ribbing. It was kind of like, ha ha, you can't catch me. Here's another tie. Never, never. You know, when somebody does that, it becomes personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had cases where people have left their calling card like a turd in the toilet or, you know, done something like that. But <laughs> I, ne- I never got ties. <laughs> yeah. Or the challenge. Catch me if you can. But but Lewis is he's he's kind of funny that way. Like you know, he was always he always wore polo, long sleeve dress shirts, and he would monograph the sleeves. And so I asked him one time. I, well, I, this was in Venezuela. I asked him, and uh, he says, and he was telling me about different aliases and you know, was changing his alias. And I said, well, yeah. But what do you do? Go out and buy all new shirts? He says, no, 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 no. I keep the same initials. It'd be too expensive to go out and have to, and too much of a hassle to go out and buy new shirts all the time. So Louis Navoa, Louis Navia, you know, he would always have the same alias. So I just a little quirk. And there is yeah. another way to track somebody. It's like we're talking right now with Dave and uh, Chris about Miguel and uh his his need to have certain things there, you know. And Pablo had to have the gold plated shitters, you know. <laughs> yeah. So if if we had been hip to that, you know, we would have said, okay, let's look for another alias and LN, you know. Yeah. Bob could have yeah. tracked him down sooner. So. Or just look for when you're out there. Don't worry about fingerprints. Just look for the guy that's got the monogram shirt, you know, with LN. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, well, so. hey, dude, this has been fun. This is, I mean, this is what's interesting is like, say, we we always you know, like we don't interview that many folks on the other side, uh, you know, uh, of the law. But Lewis was a. Um, he was an interesting character. I mean, the book, like you said, Jesse does, he did do a lot of research on that book and there is a lot of detail in there, but just Lewis, just his, uh, openness about stuff and his ability, you know, and you could see, you could see where he was the businessman because he doesn't come across as the hardened narco rascuno type or the Pablo type or the El Chapo type. He's just, he really was, he was a businessman, but the life he led, you're, I'm surprised that just the life he led, just the crap he was doing, didn't kill him with the dope and the alcohol. Yeah, no, so, it should have. You know, it it should have. But you, you saved him. So, and look, we saved you because we're going to ensure that you don't get kicked out of Florida. I just, <laughs> I wrote Governor DeSantis. I said, leave Eric alone. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> but I'm, try, I'm trying to do better as I get older, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to do better. Hey, we'll have to have a whole episode about, you know, we'll, we'll do a place of five-star reviews of all the places Eric has been kicked out of, you know? <laughs> where's, where's your favorite place that, yeah, when you're working on Pan X, you know? And uh, Kia. Okay. Yeah. Oh, five-star reviews of restaurants that I used to attend in Kia when I was assigned there, so we'll do that. <laughs> Hey Eric, it's it's been a it's been a real pleasure, brother, catching up with you after all these years. Likewise, you know, and you know, you get over the side of the state. Let me know. We'll we'll get together. 
Well, I, you know, I actually emailed Luis to tell him that you were going to be on the show today. And he's like, oh, we got to all three get together now. We're all oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure we will at Just some point. Just prepare for a five-hour dinner with Luis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're all getting yeah, good times. It, it, it's it, – it's, um, he gets on a roll and he and he loves to talk about all this stuff and well, so it ought to be it ought to, it ought to be a reality show following <laughs> him around so much. I mean, you know, we I, I think it was he was it even in the book. You know, we went, when they came up here, we went to a little blues club and there's. He gets up on a stage. There's a band set up and starts playing the drums. He was playing drums in prison. You see the picture of the book yeah, again in prison. Yeah, He's playing drums. Yeah, yeah, and so you know the they politely ask him to get off the stage. Yeah. What after 17 <laughs> songs in a row? Yeah, Lewis, I yeah. think we've heard enough. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know. So yeah, he's a. I, I say he's a cross between Danny DeVito and Mr. Magoo. You know, so. you know what? He should be your next undercover. You, you ought to yeah. get, do your operation and f- travel around following the new version of The Grateful Dead. He wants to. He wants to come with me on all my PI stuff all the time. Just give me a badge and a gun. <laughs> This reminds me of 48 Hours with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to go well. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be one of those. Y'all be cool. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Louis Navia. That's right. Yeah, it would be one of those. All, All right, right, man. Well, Eric, hey, buddy, this has been great stuff. Thank you so much. Again, and thank you for your work, too. And especially, I know you said it was kind of like your last eight months, but the diversion stuff you did, too. I'm just telling you, from watching this stuff and seeing what's going on, so important that you address both sides of it, both the the illegal substances and the legal stuff. And we want to thank you for your service to this country. And um, thank you for being a great guest, man. You, you were good. We didn't kick you off the podcast. You're making progress. Like I said, I'm getting older, I'm getting smarter and, you know, (laughs) learning how to, you know, hold my tongue sometimes. (laughs) Mellow me out a little. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so we're going to close out this podcast where we have to kick Eric off. So anyway, (laughs) Hey guys, so that brings it to an end. Everybody stay tuned. And the rest of you stand by for the debrief. Well, that did not disappoint. I mean, he's he is tied into so many programs, so many places. But you know, at some point, you know, and with the, Eric, you know, did you get kicked out of a few things? Maybe he was kind of a pain in the ass. But you know what? The dude had his heart in the right place. Mm-hmm. You know, he was. Uh, and and you know, the other thing too, it's amazing. Even though he's kind of brought in late in the game for the uh, whole operation with Luis. He managed. He was the one that ended up becoming the primary contact and the gatekeeper for Louis. So it was kind of transitioned from the customs to DEA because of the way Eric treated right. Louis and treated people from the start. Right, and the thing I admire about uh, not only Eric but almost anybody you meet in DEA, they will not hesitate to take on an assignment. So I mean, just imagine yourself. You're you know you're stationed wherever you are in the United States, and they say, "Listen, we need somebody to go down to Venezuela." to see if we can capture this guy. And, uh, it, it, you know, Venezuela is not the most U.S. friendly country in the world back then. It certainly isn't now. But no hesitation on Eric's part whatsoever. He said, I'm up for the challenge. Let's go. You know, that's what I love about the people in DEA. They, they're not afraid to take on a challenge. They put some of the biggest criminals in the world in jail, criminals that nobody else could touch. And Eric just proved up to, live, you know, to, continue, to continue that legend uh, about the DEA. And if you've listened to the episode, you will understand that Eric Kolbinski is a riot, literally. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of them. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm looking forward? We're, we actually don't live too far from each other now, so I'm looking forward to getting together with him and Louise Navia, believe it or not. 
that will be an interesting lunch, and I want to just ha- I want you to just uh, live stream it for me in the background so I can just hear what's going on. But anyway, uh, bef- let's let's not get into uh, an unauthorized wiretaps yet. So anyway, guys, hey, thanks once again. Uh, head on over. Just uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We've got some great ones coming up. We have a whole series. We started with Christy Schiller, so we have a whole series coming up on the Canines for Cops. Some of these incredible stories. So that's going to be coming out. Um, so, but uh, to hear it. You got to just tell your friends, tell one, share one, head on over to Apple Podcasts and the Spotify, hit that five stars. It's magic. We don't know how it worked. We know, we just know it does. And it really helps head on over to gameofcrimespodcast.com. We've got all of our show stuff there. Our book stuff is going to be there. Anybody who writes a book, we put it up on our book page. We've got a lot of books up there now. So it's amazing how many of the people on our podcast have written books, but follow us also on the social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Uh, if you want to just do a quick pause for the cause, head on over to PayPal com and use our email game of crimes podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash game of crimes whatever it makes it easier for you but seriously gotta head on over to patreon we we dropped our episode uh this last week uh the april edition of you can't make this shit up we've got our 911 what's your emergency coming up for may and we've got coming up too we're just finished we are up to we just finished episode 12 and i think this is probably steve going to be a 16 parter yeah with chris and dave on the real dea narcos talking about the real dea narcos cali edition that you we, we are having such fun with these guys every time we get on the air with them we find out chris sandbagged us once again on another story he should have told us when we did our episode with him. <laughs> and we're not giving it away, but you <laughs> I think it's episode 12, right? You've got to listen to that one you on You've got Patreon. to listen to episode 12 and find out. Not They didn't go into the cane fields once, but twice. And this time when the police approached, how did they get out of the cane fields? Have You'll to have listen. to join Patreon and go find out. <laughs> I tell you, I'm loving this guy. You know, talking to Chris and Dave, I'm just learning so much about the Cali cartel and, and what they were doing and the things that they were doing that Javier and I, I mean, we were in a lot of dangerous situations, but these guys were out there, man. I mean, they were hung out there by themselves for a while. Yeah, in a cane field <laughs> with the top enforcer for the Cali cartel and a police van approaching. What could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. You'll have to tune in and find out. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. But so thus into the reading again for episode 45. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We love bringing you this stuff, and we love bringing it because we know that you guys are players in the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. <laughs>